Bibles to the New Testament, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 today, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're going to be in chapter 5 of the Gospel of Luke today. Today, as we talk about what Nova Church is all about, just like last week when Pastor John talked to us about learning, and he said, learning is not a ministry, it's not a program, it's not a class. Learning is a lifelong thing. It's, it's a lifestyle. And today we're going to talk about, in, in many ways, the, the same thing. We're going to talk about evangelism today and how it's not a ministry, it's, it's not a program, and it's, it's, it's not a class. It really is a lifestyle. And evangelism is simply two things. It's the, the first is it's connecting with people who are far from God. So it's just people who who know Jesus Christ and connecting with those who don't in relationships, neighborhoods, workplaces, schools, supermarkets, wherever you come in contact with someone who's far from God. And the second part of evangelism is just taking basic steps to introducing people who are far from God, just taking basic steps and introducing them to a God who loves them and a a God who, who created them. Now, a key part of the basic steps is using your words to introduce the God who created these people and who loves them to him. So just using your words. And in Proverbs chapter 18, in verse 21, just in the beginning part of that verse, in the New American Standard Bible, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue or power of our words. It's death and life. There are death words and there are life words. And so we're going to talk a lot about words today, and most of our message is going to be an application. It's going to be very, very practical today. But I, I thought we'd start with just a little, since we're talking about words, to start with a little word association. And so I'm going to say a word, if you've never done this before, I'm going to say a word or a phrase, and you just tell the person sitting next to you, just, just the person sitting next to you, whether you know them or not, um, what comes to your mind when I tell you a word or a phrase And uh, just a little word association to begin our our Sunday morning here. Your response could be anything. And remember, it it has to come right away in your head. It's it's your first gut instinct. You can't give it a lot of thought. That's not the way word association goes. And so it's the first thing that comes in your mind. And so uh, you got it? Everyone got it? Okay, so it's the person next to you. And the first word is vacation. Go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I heard a lot of Hawaii's out, out there. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Okay, second word. Ready? Here we go. Diet. <laughs> okay, you're getting a little warmed up here. Okay, this one's gonna be easy. Ready? Eagle. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. A little pop culture here. Ready? Next one is. Angelina. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. Good. All right. <clears throat> this is a phrase, okay? Here we go. Ready? Born again Christian. Little silent out there, huh? Yeah? Born again Christian. Now, wouldn't it be interesting? I, I think it'd be fascinating if we can get all your responses to a born-again Christian and put them up here on the screen. And you could just see everyone's responses. Maybe if we pulled the whole neighborhood, we went over to this townhome complex and, and did that same thing and just put them up on the screen. I wonder what we would see up on that screen. 
If I asked 150 people who were far from God, do you know any born-again Christians? And if so, what are they like? What are your general impressions of born-again Christians like? Maybe they're negative perceptions. Maybe they would say uptight or narrow or rigid or isolated or they keep to themselves all the time or born-again Christians, I feel judged or self-righteous or egotistical. And I say, let's give a watching world something good to say about Christians. That's what I say. Because God, God's heart beats for those who are far from him. And I, and I wish that whenever I struck up a casual conversation with people and I, and I asked them, tell me what you think of Christ's followers. And they'd say, Christians? Hmm, integrity. Christians? Uh, moral courage. Compassion. They're kind. They tell the truth. They're concerned for the poor. When you get around Christians, they're always the ones that are helping the poor. Um, humble people, honest, inner strength, radically inclusive of people, regardless of their background or their, their preferences, their lifestyle choices, you name it. Christians, whenever someone needs a little encouragement, you've got to find a Christian because they're going to they're gonna help you. And I, and I wish people also said, whenever people from Nova Community Church talk about God, they're so clear. There's, there's such clarity to their God story. They're so unbelievably passionate about their faith, and you should just hear them talk about their own faith journeys. I mean, they're always so humble. They're, they're so interesting to listen to, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Real, real, real simply, we're going to talk about God's story and explaining who he is and what he's done. And then I'm going to encourage you to think about your story, explaining the main thing he's done in your life. But first, let's take a look at some wisdom that God has on words. It's very clear to me how God views our words. And, and just here's a few reminders from the Bible about how useful and how potent and how supernaturally empowered words can be. From the book of Proverbs in chapter 12, verse 18, reckless words pierce like a sword. Don't, don't go too quickly on this. Think about this. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It's good words there. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 27, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint, in a man of understanding, it's even-tempered. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. These are great words, words of wisdom. God gives us these words of wisdom just about words. And today we're going to learn about how do we talk about God in a way that's full of clarity and full of passion, and how do we convey our personal faith stories in a way that, that people are going to be really interested in those. The power of story is so important for us. It's all about words. Humble words and healing words and wise words, gentle words and grace-filled words 
Are these the type of words that you're speaking to one another? If your closest friends or family members, if I, if I interviewed them anonymously, um, would they say in the course of a, of a normal day, everyday life, that you can be counted on to speak words of encouragement and of, and of grace? Or think about the very last thing that you said to somebody before you entered into this worship center today. First of all, think about who you were talking to, if you could remember that. But think about what you actually said to them. Were they words that, that were life-giving and inspiring and grace-filled, or, or were they something else? If we could ever find a way to use words for good in people's lives, we could be known for being clear, and if we could be known for being humble and succinct and relevant, I think it could put an end to the negative impressions that people would have about Christians. There are two primary areas, sort of two primary areas, um, how we talk about God, explaining who he is and what he's done in our life. And the, the first area revolves around how we talk about God. And the second area revolves around what he's done in our lives. And so first is, what is God's story? And what's your story is basically what's going to be down to two things today. And how can we get both of those stories told well in our life? So well that listeners will walk away from us sharing God's story and our story. And, and they're going to say things like, now, that is something I understood. Or that is what I really enjoyed. Or now that's what I crave in my life. That's what we want to get to today. So first, number one is this. God has a story. Learn to tell it. Simple as that. God has a story, and just le let's, let's learn to tell it. Now, my hope is that, and this is an assumption, my hope is that all of you have a connection with somebody who's far from God. And, and maybe it's not a deep friendship, but it's an actual connection. It's a neighbor. It's a coworker. It's someone who works in the next cubicle, someone that you volunteer with at school, a classmate that you sit next to. You have a connection, at least one connection, with someone who's far from God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, in the message paraphrase, it says, Proclaim the message with intensity. Keep on your watch. Challenge, warn, and urge your people. Don't ever quit. Just keep it simple. You see, God has a story, and it's a powerful story. And your job and my job is to just to learn to tell this story. Now, just to test your current comfort level on telling God's story here, um, let's just say that you're having lunch with a coworker, and it's a, a coworker that you've known for for many years. And you're having lunch with a coworker, and here's the way the dialogue goes. And so they're talking to you, and they say this. You know, we've been friends for a long time, and you've been really great not forcing your God thing on me, even though you probably knew that my life would be better if I'd give this God thing a, a chance. Your coworker says to you, well, anyways, things I have, I guess you can say things have gone a little south in my marriage. My wife and I, well, we're thinking about trying out Nova Community Church. Isn't that the church you go to? You know, the whole God thing. And you know, as sort of a last-ditch effort, before we call it quits, I, I wonder if, you know, before I 
actually come on a Sunday, before I dive into the whole God thing, I wonder if you can sort of explain the whole deal to me. What is it about God that so many people are attracted to? And is God really necessary in my life? That's what I call a wide open door, right? <laughs> I mean, if you've ever had anyone say that or ask you that or have an interaction like that, what would you say? I mean, would you? Um, I'm going to teach you a real simple, easy to remember, a clear presentation of the gospel. Now, inside your worship folder, inside your program, you're going to find that there is a, what in there? There's a napkin in there, right? Because if you're sitting there at a restaurant and your coworker says something like that, and you're searching for something to write on, because I'm going to teach you a diagram right now, the best thing is going to be what? It's going to be a, a napkin, right? And so just to practice. Now, I know some of you think, that's really stupid. But I don't... I don't think it's all that, all that stupid. So you're reaching for a napkin, and it's going to be sort of flimsy like that maybe, and your hand's going to be shaking, and you grab a pen, and you say, um, let me draw this for you. And, and if you can get this, you could tell God's story, okay? If you ever wanted to tell God's story, if you get this here, you're going to be able to tell God's story, and it's very, very simple. Now, I'm going to teach you something called the bridge, it's not the only way you can tell God's story, but it's a very simple, clear way to do this. The bridge is a simple, clear, and a powerful way to illustrate precisely what God and the Son, Jesus Christ, did for you and for me. Now, next time you find yourself in this delicate conversation where this person you're talking to really does want to know more about God, and he asks you in, in this way, ask for permission. Okay, try, start there. Say, can I... Do I have permission from you? Can I draw you a diagram to answer your question? And you sketch out this bridge, and here's the image right here. So take a look at this. It's very simple. You write people on one side and God on the other, and then you draw this sort of chasm. So you have sort of a cliff on one side and a cliff on the other side and this chasm right in the middle. And so you say, it's very, very simple. You say, for starters, we have to establish the reality of two different beings, people and God. So you have people on one side and God on the other, and you have this chasm between them. And then you say, between people and God is this great chasm. It's this division that exists because people want to go their own way. They want to do their own thing. They have this propensity to rebel against God's way, the way God wants to do things, and they want to do their own thing. The Bible calls this attitude sin. Simple as that. People are separated from God by sin. You got it? Okay. So then you say, the dilemma that people face is that they're drawn to God, but they know they just can't leap over this chasm, right? They, 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 they want to get to know God, but they, they can't get over there. And so they try to exert sort of this human effort, hoping that we can get to this other side. So you draw an arrow down to the bottom. Because people try to get to God, but they can't make it on their own human effort. So you say something like, we try to get close to God in so many different ways. We try to be good enough to get close to God. That doesn't always work out, or it never works out, really. And then people try intellectual study, so they'll take a class, they'll read a book to try to, try to get close to God. You might take a class, feel good a little bit. You might read a book and say, wow, that was an impactful book, but I really can't get close to God 
uh, long term that way. They try different modalities like crystals and that makes them feel close to God or, or rituals like, like baptism or a church attendance or, you know, if they just do those things, maybe they'll feel close to God um, or, or maybe they travel. They, they want to go to God's country, wherever that is. And, and, uh, and they, they want to go someplace where there's a vortex like Sedona where they feel close to God. But, you know, that's just, long, that's just short-term stuff. So in the end, we realize that all the human effort that we have in our life will never be good enough for us to get us to the other side, to where God is, okay? But thankfully, you say, but thankfully, God sympathized with our dilemma. And because he loved us so much, he intervened so that we would have a means to get close to him. So they're feeling like, okay, what is that? What is that, right? You say the solution is his son, Jesus Christ, served as a bridge, and then you draw a cross between that chasm, just like that. Pretty simple, right? Just sort of three easy steps. The hardest one is the first one. You've got to write people. You've got to write God. You've got to put a chasm in there. The second step is you draw an arrow. You say people try to get close to God, but they can't make it on their own, and so they fall into this chasm, and chasm leads to death, really. But, but God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he formed a bridge for us to bridge us to God, uh, and that's through the cross. So if you remember nothing else about this bridge illustration, remember this. You say, Jesus Christ came to earth to be our bridge, and whoever makes the decision to cross that bridge will live with him forever. Okay? That's, that's, you have to remember to say that. Now, Jesus Christ in John chapter 5, verse 24, he said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. It's a good scripture. Just write down John chapter 5, verse 24 and, and read that scripture to them. Now, here's an application for sharing the bridge diagram. So after you do all that talk, real simple stuff, you draw the bridge diagram, you, you hand the pen to your friend, and you say, where are you at in this diagram? Okay, and say, just put an X to where you're at in this diagram. They might put an X, I'm, I'm where all the people are, I'm not close to God at all. They'll say, well, I'm, on, I'm with God. And, and they draw an X to where God is, and then you can ask, why, why do you think you're there? And, and ask them about that. They'll, they'll say, I'm somewhere on the bridge. And then you say, well, what's, what's going to help you to move forward, get closer to God? And you start a conversation from there. Now, here's some thoughts, just real quick, about sharing God's story. The first is, you need to pray like crazy, okay? Because you're not going to do this all on your own strength. Or, you know, you're, you're just, you need God in all of this. Ask for God's supernatural intervention. It's not you who needs to close the deal. It's not you closing the deal. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to do his work in someone else's life. The Holy Spirit is just using you here. Now, whatever illustration you use, whatever story you want to tell for God, keep in mind the type of words we already talked about. Humble words, healing words, gentle words, grace-filled words. You are not responsible for transforming a human heart. That's not your job. It's so important for you to get that. It's not your job to transform a human heart. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to do that. Your role... When prompted to do so is to open your mouth and give a tender, thoughtful, clear, passionate understanding of who God is. And that's all. 
There's nothing else. It, you're not responsible for transforming a human heart. You see, God has a story, and so learn to tell it. Number two is this, important part. And real quick, we're just going to end with this, really, is you have a story. Learn to tell it well. All of you have a story. Learn to tell your story well. Do you know what your story is? You have a, a story, and so tell it well. It's a powerful story, and your job is just to open your mouth and tell that story well. Now, if you believe what I just said, that you have a powerful story, the question is, what is that story? Now, you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and you have a redemptive, wonderful, redemptive story to tell. And here's why that's true. Regardless of how old you, you were when you came to know Jesus Christ, hopefully you were different from that point to how you are right now. Let's get to our text today. I know it's been a, uh, from, from the very beginning from Luke chapter 5. And let me tell you, this is a text of a wonderful story of a man who encountered Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. There's a story he told here. And the story really has two parts, and your story has two parts too. So your story has first part is the before part, okay? Your story has a before part, and then your story has a after part. It's it's pretty simple today, I think. I mean, I, I, this, is, this is good stuff, but this is pretty simple. Your story has a before part, and it has an after part. Now, if you take a look at Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12, what we just read, there's a before and an after story there. It could go in so many different directions, but it's so clear. The before part, the man said, I was sick, that was before, but now I'm well. That's his story. It's, it's the end of the story right there, really. I was sick, and now I'm well. Here's another one. I was diseased, but now I'm healthy. That's his story. I was an outcast, but now I'm, I'm acceptable. I was defiled. I was tainted, but now I'm good as new. I was tarnished, but now I'm clean. I was left for dead. People just set me aside, but now I have a future. That's his story. In, in his story, there was a before and there was an after. And, and, and who knows how he told his story, but he definitely told his story because people, the news spread around, about him all around. Now, here's the point. For the vast majority of you sitting in this room, the same pattern is true of you. You have a before and you have an after. And that's all people really need to hear about your story right out of the gate. Uh, what were you like before you came to know Christ? And what are you like now? And what was the experience of embracing Jesus Christ? And what are you like after you crossed the line of faith? Maybe you would say something like, I was striving, but now I'm at peace. 
Your story could be as simple as, and it's just really one sentence. Your story is one sentence. I was self-destructive, and now I'm healthy. I was guilty, and now I'm liberated. I was fear-stricken, but now I'm confident. I was despairing, but now I'm hopeful. So your before and after doesn't need to be more complicated than just what I just said. And it sounds pretty straightforward, right? I mean, you think you could do that? And you're, and you're think of, this is the way I was before, and now I'm like this. It, it should be easy to tell. Just a, an effective faith story in your life. But here's the, here's the point. When you say something like, I was diseased, but now I'm healthy, and people hear that, they're not going to walk away from that. They're going to say, well, what happened, right? I'm, tell me more about this story. So you're going to have to learn to elaborate a little bit more. For me, one of my, my greatest stories, and I'm, I just did it, and I just did it again, is I'm a lifelong stutterer. I was in speech therapy in the Torrance schools from kindergarten to eighth grade. I stuttered all the time. If you ever want to get me going, just stutter right at me, and I'll stutter right back at you again. <laughs> my, my story is this. I am a lifelong stutterer, but now I'm a professional public communicator. And people say, well, how did that happen? And then I get to tell my Jesus story. I get to tell my God story then. I, I'll, I'll, I'll say to people, I was once very depressed. And I didn't have any meaning in my life. And now I know my purpose. And they'll say, well, how did you figure that out? Right? It's, your life story has got to be that compelling. And it's that simple. You've got to tell God's story. You've got to tell your story. But let me just close with this real, real quick. How do you tell a really bad story? Okay. Let's, let's just close with that, all right? Here. The first one is this. The long-winded story, okay? Or what I call the story, okay? It's that boring, okay? Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 11. The more the words, the less the meaning. Wow, get that. The more the words, the less the meaning. How does that profit anyone? It doesn't profit anybody. Don't tell the long-winded story. Learn to shut up and be succinct in your story. I was like this before, and now I'm like this after. That's it. That's your story. The second story, how to tell a really bad story, is the fuzzy story. The story that's not clear. Psalm 119 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. That's the way your words should be. They should unfold and then bring light to something. It gives understanding to the simple. You need to make it clear. You need to make it simple. The third bad story is the religionese story. Okay, The religionese story. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 12 says, Words from, from a wise man's mouth are gracious, but a fool is consumed by his own lips. Don't use insider language, churchy language, Christian language and words. Don't say things like, I was destined for the eternal uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth, <laughs> but now I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I mean, who, what, they're going to say, what? I mean, they're going to walk away and say, I don't want to talk with that guy anymore, right? <laughs> the fourth way to tell a really bad story is the superior story. Don't tell the superior story. Proverbs 16, pleasant words are like a honeycomb. They're sweet to the soul 
and healing to the bones. Don't talk like you have it all together. Even if you give credit to God, don't talk like you have it all together. Okay, two scriptures and we're going to close here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says, Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. It's so true. And back to the beginning, Proverbs chapter 18. Death and life. There are death words and there are life words. Death and life are in the power of our words. This is the power of story, everybody. This is so important. Number one, God has a story. Learn to tell it. Number two, you have a story. Learn to tell it well. Let's all stand. We're going to close our time in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your words today. Father, thank you that there are such power that you have given us in the power of all of our words. Lord, I know that each one of us is connected with someone who is far from God. And Father, we pray for that person that by your Holy Spirit, you would draw them to you. And Father, if necessary, use us and use our words about what we learned today. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you on the plaza.